0: Welcome. You're listening to the Rotten River Pursuits podcast. Join our epic pro staff around the sonic campfire for stories and adventures from our eastern mountains to the Chesapeake salt. Let our highs and lows inspire you to take to the outdoors.
1: You're listening to the Rutten River Pursuits Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Dusk to Dawn Bowfishing.
2: Are you looking for an awesome outdoor adventure this summer? Well, the ultimate bowfishing experience awaits. Go to dusktodawnbowfishing.com or call Captain Mark Spagnola at 717-324-1649 to reserve a spot on the boat. Captain Mark has something for all ages and skill levels, so be sure to go check them out.
1: Welcome everyone, I'm Steve I'm Will
3: I'm Catfisher
1: How's everyone doing tonight? Oh, it's,
3: it's a good night
0: <laughs>
1: It is a good I'm psyched man <laughs> I haven't been this excited in
0: I can't remember the last when time When was the last time you were this excited?
1: <laughs> I, I can think of one time about three weeks ago did I tell you guys a story about catfish and I fishing oh. down in Maryland? <laughs> <laughs>
4: no, yeah. I, that go was ahead. I
1: was about that excited
3: as I am now. <sighs> yeah, it was close. It Speaking was close. of fishing in Maryland, I got me and Sammy went fishing. Did you really? Yeah, we got a new friend Joe that has a 28 footer. That's all right. 225 on the back, nice Yamaha. That's Beautiful a, boat. That's a good deal here's a wild thing like <clears throat> i just met this fella uh, i didn't even meet him before we went down total stranger met him on facebook through a friend he's and a friend of a friend he's a friend of a friend of my <laughs> in the <laughs> or and he said and, and he t- followed me on facebook and texted me and
0: lonely yeah
3: <laughs> he said you coming down fishing this week and i said yeah you know me and stevie are coming down surf fishing blah 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 and uh I said, I'll probably be down Sunday, I would imagine. And he said, well, I got spots on the boat. Come on down. And uh, I'm like, all right. So he invited us down. Unfortunately, Stevie couldn't make it. No. He had Easter eggs to find or something. Yeah. So I took <laughs> Mr. General with me, the general. Nice. And uh, here's the crazy thing. Like, we got on a boat. There were seven of us. The captain knew everybody but us, too. And everybody on the boat didn't know each other. So heading out in the morning in the dark on the Chesapeake on this guy's boat that we've never met before, just picked us up at 7-Eleven. Yeah. Instantly cool dude. Yeah. I mean, woke us up in the truck. We got there an hour early because I hate being late. So we're <laughs> napping in the truck, and he comes by pounding on the truck hood. Get up, boys. Let's go fishing. Uh, ran in Seven Eleven, ran down to the marina. He lives like you can see anglers from his house, and his boat is within walking distance of wow. that. And uh, we headed out. yeah. Wow. So all these seven strangers, I have never sat down with seven total strangers and got along as well as not got along, but like the conversation went amazing. Like all day, just like right off the bat, laughter, connections, not stepping on each other's stories. It was absolutely, it was cool. It was a cool day. Fishing was a little slow, but we were fishing without riggers and we had, You know, 12, 18 rods out sometimes, so I got to learn a lot about that. Wow. The seas were rough going out. They were like glass coming in from dark to dark on the water. Never had had one moment that I wasn't happy. Like, it was just awesome. So, he ran all 12 rods, like, by himself. Yep. Him and Bo. There was a guy named Bo in the boat, super cool dude, and he... He knew what he was doing, and he had his little nephew there that was uh, 15. Actually, yeah. we stopped at his house, and he slept in. So he's like, "Oh, we're leaving him," and we went down to the boat, and this kid come running down at the last second with like uh, a bag uh, of ice uh, on his shoulder. He's like, "No, no, no," uh, and thankfully he did because that that first mate, his little 15 year old nephew, he knows how to fish. Does he? Yeah, he's running up and jumping up on top, ratchet straps, getting the you know the planer boards down. And That's cool. Yeah, just, just I mean, for the amount of, we caught some fish, but truly just it's hard to explain one of those epic days where i sat down with a bunch of people i didn't know small bit of anxiety on the way out but by the time daylight hit and we started talking and hanging out it was it was cool that's cool it was very Very cool cool. thanks captain joe yeah captain joe's awesome and he's invited us back fishing so uh we'll get down there soon yeah
0: must have made a good impression on him Mm -hmm. you and
3: sammy went Right. was sammy awake the whole time sammy was awake the whole time on the way out the seas Ow. were rough yeah i mean like hold on to each other bouncing into each other rough until we got north of the bridge it can get rough no, south either. of the bridge i'm yeah. sorry and uh sammy got wet <laughs> <laughs> he sat on the wrong cooler in the wrong oh. place and uh his his arm was soaked and his butt was soaked his right leg was soaked and uh like he he went total swamp ass. Like, oh. <laughs> I mean, you saw everybody else was sitting on coolers in the middle of the day, yeah. talking, having a great time, slapping knees. And by the end of the day, I'm like sitting beside Bo, elbowing him, and the captain's like smacking me in the chest, telling me these funny stories. Uh-huh. And Sammy's standing up, quiet, because his butt was itchy. Uh-huh. <laughs> poor guy. So
0: bless his heart. Well, you got anything new? I don't. No. I really don't. Nothing. I I, I mean, a lot of working around the house. I got some, uh, like, built a little pad for my trailer, and uh, this week just. Did you have some work done of, to your driveway. I got, got my driveway sealed. Why? I mean, that's pointless. I was told that it was not advantageous or helpful.
3: Total waste of money. I dude. wouldn't but listen to that person.
0: Otherwise, just you know. Painting my driveway
3: yeah. Gotta paint the driveway now and again Whatever but Anyway <laughs> I, It looks good And I like it so. Seal coating's worthless
0: <laughs> Ryan thought I actually put the musician's seal On, on your driveway yeah.
3: yeah Who would do that? <clears throat> Silly Yeah So I'm Another fishing story real quick Yeah So I've been running rampant All week um, My father's coming to visit Which you all know is very important to me Yeah And In order to get ready for dad, there's a lot of extra work. It's like once a year, right? Yeah, yep. And this is the first time that dad will be, you know, visiting me since he he's double amputee now. So there's a little bit extra work, yeah, and um, long hours. Uh, I brought dad's boat home. My goal is to take dad out fishing on his own boat and get him some fish on his own boat, Uh, make him happy, yeah, uh, which in turn will make me happy. So. I got the boat out, and my my friend Jim has my power washer. I don't have time to run an hour to get it, so I figured I'll just hook the the boat now that I got it down here. I'll hook it and I'll run down the car wash. I'll pull that thing in the bay right before dark. Nobody will be around, and I'll use the you know the power sprayer down there, and I'll get some of this mold and moss out of the carpet. And you know it's yeah, just it, this boat's filthy. It's been sitting around for five years. Got down there, put my rubbers on, put my rubber boots on. Put my hat on, didn't have my glasses. First of all, jumped I'm like, man, I don't have any safety glasses. And if you power wash really dirty boats, you want to have some kind of clear glasses on. So I had to wear my minion glasses. <laughs> like my, the
1: cartoon minions. I have a pair of minion <laughs> glasses that
3: we bought in the Baltimore Inner Harbor. And uh so I put them on. So that was kinda of funny. Lacey was laughing at me. I'm all ready to go. And I realize I don't have my wallet. I have no money in the truck. Why? You no realize
1: this after you got to the car wash. I'm
3: in the car wash. I'm dressed uh, and ready to go. I got no quarters. So I had to call a favor into another buddy, Jim. I know lots of Jims. Sounds like yeah. it. Yeah, Jimmy Hunt come over, and uh, I'm like, dude, you got to bring me some money. Because I'm not <laughs> driving this boat all the way back to Lake Mead to get my wallet to drag the boat back here. So he, c- he come up with, like, two handfuls of quarters. He's like, is this enough? I'm like, yep, that's good. And it was. It was... Uh, I, I mean I ran it down to the last thirty seconds, but the boat looks good. New impeller. I put a new impeller water yeah. pump in it. Changed the oil, changed the lower end unit, uh fluids out and um she looks pretty good. You got a lot done this week then, didn't you? Yep. Yeah, built a new ramp, uh lower bed. And dad's uh dad's real special to me, so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a good visit. That's good.
1: That's
3: yeah. Good. A lot of hours, I'm tired.
1: I have nothing new. I almost lost, other than almost losing a whopper plopper tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, fishing a little bit before the show, and uh, one of the few times I've uh, been using a whopper plopper, and you know, I got stuck in a bush. Needless to say, I went after that thing and ended up scraping up my arms <laughs> a little bit. But, <laughs> well, you got, you got to go after the yeah, whopper plopper. It's, uh, yeah. No kidding. But fishing's been slow for me this week, so... Anywho, anybody but, got anything else?
0: Not really. No,
1: I, I'm excited. But well, we have a big today. show. Well, we do have a big show. I've been looking forward to this for. I'm I'm getting all giddy just talking about it here. But before we get to our guest, let's take a minute to talk about this week's show sponsor.
3: Are you looking to experience some freshwater fishing at its finest? I mean, really, truly, trophy fishing. If you want to catch some trophy bass, some trophy trout, musky, walleye, and everything in between with an experienced guide away from the crowds in the wide open wilderness of Ontario, then look no further. You can find Tyler Dunn at Tyler Dunn Guiding. He's a buddy of ours, and I tell you what, he'll give you the fishing experience of a lifetime. Tyler offers guided trips with his boat, canoe, kayak, or wading on the St. Mary's River, Lake Superior, and many other surrounding rivers and waterways. If hard water fishing is your passion, then Tyler offers ice fishing packages too. Contact Tyler Dunn Guiding at 705-255-6974 or look him up online at www.tylerdunnguiding.ca. Hey guys, welcome back. This is an epic
0: show. Epic. Uh, we have a very, very special guest. We have Spencer Two Dogs Bojack. What? Yeah. Hey.
2: What's going on? <laughs> hey, Spencer. Hey. Here we are. Wow.
0: We made it. We did. all the, the yeah. Via the skyways and byways of North Carolina. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Spencer.
2: My pleasure, guys. Glad to be here. Hope we can have some fun, share some stories, share a little knowledge, and uh, cheer some people up out there that are listening and bring a little goodness to their day,
3: you know? That's what it's all about. And you're good at that. I mean, I didn't feel real great when I got here. And before we started the podcast, you already made me feel better. So you have a some well, kind of knack pick of making, picking people up.
2: Well, uh, you know, one of the things, not to jump in too early about the show, but there was a period of my life where I hated being in the TV show and I was just down and grumpy and I felt stuck and trapped. I felt like a prostitute on TV, you know, and, and I, I, started, I got a letter from a guy and he had his legs blown off in Afghanistan and he was in a hospital or something in Germany and he wrote me a letter and he said that my show helped him keep going because it reminded him of growing up with his grandpa and getting out and doing fun stuff and just the silliness made him laugh and it changed my world, you know. I was like, you know, that's really that's awesome. what TV work yeah. can be about, you know. So it's, uh, there's a lot of people we forget about. Yeah. That
3: are out there watching. Yeah, it's awesome. We get,
0: uh, yeah, we get too close to the project, and and, and yeah. taking a step back never, never, ever hurts. So, yeah. so for those
1: that may uh, recognize your voice, Spencer, you were you did fifty nine episodes of Hillbilly Blood on the Discovery Channel, right? That's your. Uh, it
4: was
2: owned. Yeah, the the channel it mostly aired on is Destination America, but at the time, uh, and they may still be, I don't know, but at the time, they yeah. were owned by Discovery. Yep, they're still so, on. Uh, so sometimes it pops up on there, and you know, it's it's a Discovery Network production of some sort. But
1: you you have a lot of TV airtime behind your belt there. Yeah,
4: yeah,
2: yeah. yeah.
1: So b- before we get into that, can we learn a little bit about Spencer? Uh, you know, just to kind of give us a rundown of your, you know, your family life, kind of a short bio there of uh, of you.
2: All right. Um, well, at the moment, I'm married and I've got three kids, and I live in Haywood County, west of Asheville, North Carolina. And, uh, you know, I make knives half a day, and then I jump in a truck and drive all over the place and teach uh, after school and evening karate classes and martial arts for half a day and i play guitar on the weekends and run camps during the summer and do guide service whenever anybody will pay me and uh and growing up i, I grew up uh, in north carolina and uh my grandpa was a tobacco farmer so i got to see the rise or the fall of that industry you know that kind of fell apart when i was younger and um just kind of my family had to struggle a lot growing up my dad did an amazing job of giving me a adventure-packed childhood on very little money, which is something that I love passing on to my kids. You know, you can have a lot of fun in the outdoors without spending a whole lot of money. And, um, you know, we had to move from house to house. We were in it, and a lot of times they'd sell. And But I ended up graduating high school and uh, graduated college eventually. It took me forever. I was a hobo for three years um, in the woods and uh, learned a lot of survival skills from that and finally ended up in a place where I can share that knowledge and pass it on, so that's kind of where I'm at these days.
1: We were struggling on how to introduce you here a few minutes ago because, with, with just what you said a few, you, you know, in, in your introduction there, you're martial artist, uh, knife maker, survivalist, school teacher. Uh, you know, I, I don't know Musician. where... Musician. Musician. Yeah, like, where do we... Inventor. Inventor. I hear rumors
3: he's a pretty good fisherman.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, outdoorsman. Like, where do you start? I don't know. We, maybe we should just stop doing any other podcast and have you on for the rest of the year. Like, volume, <laughs> like <laughs> volume 16, 17.
3: <laughs> I got specific questions for you about things that you did while you spent your time as a hobo, but...
4: Sure, Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I mean, Well, I, uh, he's... Yeah,
2: that's just about all that, all that stuff. You know, for, in my own mind, it's all kind of related, but a lot of it has to do with just having a vision and just following through with it. And you know, I'm a little bit obsessive, so when I get into something, I don't like to dabble. I like to really try to study and learn it. And, uh, and I shot my TV with a 12 gauge shotgun a long time ago, and I never did replace it. <laughs> uh, so. I haven't had a TV in like
3: twenty years. I'm so. with you there. I hate TV. I, I, and and I apologize. That's why I'm I'm kind of out of the loop. I've not seen your show, but it's just because I don't watch TV. And uh, so yeah. me being a Here here is uh, please forgive me. But I have looked and read some of your book, and I saw mm-hmm. a really awesome picture in your book about um, uh, you eating some copperhead. So um, oh yeah, tell me about that because that's I have to know. And here's the thing, too. I'm really excited to just be on a podcast tonight, have our podcast where I can actually call somebody a hobo to their face <laughs> and they don't take offense to it.
2: No way, man. It's a good school. A hobo school is a good school. Uh, you know, I I, I had a – some people grow up with such a tough childhood that they don't have to go out and seek that knowledge. They have to fight and scrape to survive from the time they're a baby. My parents did such a good job of – keeping food on the table that, you know, I, I had to go find that challenge myself and, uh, and find that stuff. So yeah, the, the, uh, the copperhead snake is real common in North Carolina. It's very camouflaged. It's a, uh, it's real cool headed most of the time. And, uh, generally stays away from fighting, but they're real quiet unlike a rattlesnake. So they can really put a spook on you because you don't see them and they don't make noise. Um, and all the venom is stored in the head. And so, if you you know living in the mountains, there's not a lot of protein, and you can hunt and stuff, but from a day-to-day perspective, especially if you're out of season or you don't have a weapon of some sort, uh, coming across a snake can be a real good find. And if you if you cut its head off, you can uh, you can skin that snake. And I'll tell you about the heart of a copperhead. the heart of a copperhead will be by itself on a rock. Up to an hour or two or three what? after you take it out of the body, yeah. Um, so there's there's some old Native American legends about the strength of the heart, you know, and the strength of the animal that you eat. And so I, I decided in my own head, since it doesn't taste all that great, that it was going to be real good for me because its heartbeat for three hours on the rock. But, uh, but yeah, you can skin that snake up and you cook it, and it's just kind of like alligator. It's like a tough chicken. You just peel the I just you bite it between my teeth and put, peel that meat off the ribs, but you got to watch out for that head because it can still puncture you and put venom in you. Uh, you got to close its mouth and bury it where your dog can't pull it up, or unless you want to stick somebody. Now I've heard of that too, but you know I generally, I'm generally a nice
3: guy, so I don't do that. Thanks for telling me now, Spencer. No, we, I, I've never bitten a, a copperhead before, but uh, I have been bitten by a copperhead, and let me tell you, it's one of the most horrible feelings on earth
1: a copperhead
3: yeah yeah (laughs) as the story goes but yeah it's uh the hospital stay is not fun I wouldn't wish it on my worst Uh, enemy uh but I've not eaten I have not eaten one so I'm intrigued so so how does a guy
1: that blew up his TV with a 12 gauge shotgun 20 years ago get on a TV show that's a
2: that's a good question uh I've had a, I've got a YouTube channel that's not all that great. I don't put much time and energy into it. I would just randomly turn a camera on and do something and put it on there and put a little original music to it. I don't have that many followers. Even after the show, I probably don't have much more than a couple thousand subscribers. I don't know. And One day, somebody just called up with a real strong New York accent and said, uh, Hey, Spencer. What do you say about being on a TV show? I thought it was a scam. I was like, "How much is this going to cost?" You know, <laughs> and sure enough, somebody showed up and filmed a little trailer and left, and I didn't hear from them for about a year. And then they called up and they said, "Clear your schedule. We're coming down for a month. We're going to film six episodes." And it was the first run-and-gun reality-style show that was shot in 3D, which you wouldn't know because they played on 2D stations, but that made life pretty miserable. Those cameras are the size of a washing machine. Oh, wow. Uh, They cost more than my house, uh, and they're super fragile, and the slightest bit of moisture or dust ruins everything because it's two separate lenses filming at really high resolution. And uh, really, the camera was very frustrating, but we made it through, and then it kept on growing and went on for Uh, you know 50 whatever 53 more episodes so uh, the technology got better cameras got smaller Then they ditched 3d and just went to high resolution shoulder mounted
3: cameras later on so no hell i get frustrated just taking the gopros with me i can't imagine having a camera like that (laughs) yeah you know and i'm not i mean you're not filming in you know like downtown philadelphia or or, or charleston or you're out there (laughs)
2: No, I, I've got to give some credit now. There's, there's a lot of frustration in the TV business, but I've got to give a shout out for the camera operators of reality TV. Those guys are tough. I mean, here we are, you know, up and down rocks and moss and lichen and water and snow. And, you know, they've got knee pads and elbow pads and, you know, they are hustling. They're, they're some of the most hustling people I've ever worked with. And, uh, Carrying a 40, 50-pound camera for, you know, eight hours, nine hours, not complaining. I, I was real
3: impressed with those guys. Wow. Yeah, it's impressive.
0: <laughs> we can't even get somebody to go out for a half a day yeah, with me. a handheld. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so what's that like? I and mean, that, that had to be a life-changing experience for you then, you know, being on TV that
2: the first season, people say you can't see it in the show. I can see it. I was scared to death. Were you? Uh, uh, my 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 bowels were a wreck. You know, like there's an episode, one of the first ones, I'm carving a bow, and it's just kind of a standard, simple bow. But usually I take, you know, months to mess up with a bow. I'll mess with it a little bit, and it, it cures, and I go mess with it a little bit. and And I had like five hours to go from a log to a bow. I had to split it, and so the one of the head honcho people from Discovery Channel rolls up in my driveway, you know, and it's a pretty serious looking dude, and he's like, uh, "That bow's not going to break, is it?" I was like, uh, "No, sir, it shouldn't." (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he's like, "Well, better not. We don't have time to make another one." Wow. But you know, so you know that was early enough in the game where I was real stressed out. Now, what happens in that business is, as you get used to it, you realize you can only do the best you can do. It's like being in basic training. You know, you, a drill sergeant can yell at you all he wants to, but if you can't move, you can't move. So right. you you learn to relax and just go for a ride. It's you know? mm-hmm. okay. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, I was it was real stressful, and and the the name of the show was a huge surprise. Uh, it was supposed to be secrets of the mountain people and we filmed it under that name and the idea originally was going to be like hanging out with old timers you know show me how you made that hominy corn all right it's kind of like the ultimate fighter show except redneck skills you know like how are you doing this all right show me it now i'm gonna try it who's better you know that kind of a thing wow um when it hit the air and said hillbilly blood i was like oh my god you didn't know that
1: it was going to be hillbilly
2: blood (laughs) No, and, and you got to realize that's a controversial term for some people. Now some people have a sense of humor and they they get it and they they can laugh and have a good time with it. But you know, there's there's people that get real touchy about that, yeah. you know, and they um you know, it's definitely caused some friction. Now once people get to know me and they actually see the show, they realize nobody's making fun of anybody, but uh, when that first season hit, it was, you know, it was kind of like people run up to me and they'll want a picture with me and their kid or they'll want an autograph or they want to fight. So I've always kind of got to like just stand back a little bit, like, all right, which one's this one? Gonna be? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but it's gotten better. That All that stuff's kind of disappeared as time's gone by. So it's it's all good
0: now. Do so, you miss that? Did they? Oh, yeah. yeah. Did they? um Get a hold of you in particular like, And brought Eugene in As well or did you know Eugene?
2: I didn't know Eugene before the show And my first reaction Based on You know we met at like Waffle House and had breakfast And I was like <laughs> Well uh, He doesn't strike me As a southern Backwoods kind of fellow But uh After hanging out with him for three days, uh, I changed my tune because uh, Gene really is not only one of the most generous and kindest fellas you'll ever run into. He'll give the shirt off his back. Now, he might be cold later, and that's his own fault, but he'll give the shirt off his back to somebody that needs it. He'll take two days off of work to fix somebody else's car engine for free. Wow. You know, um, he's just that kind of dude, and he knows a lot of stuff. I, I felt like I was in school hanging around with Gene. I mean, he... He really knew a lot of stuff. He taught me a lot of skills through that TV show uh, that I didn't have before. So, I'm, you know, I'm really grateful that it, it worked out the way it did.
0: That's awesome. And yeah, and complete news to me. It th- look like you guys have been neighbors like you grew forever. Up together, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah. well done. Well, we
2: had to take care of each other because sometimes those show people can be, you know, I'm not going to get into profanity on your podcast, but... uh Sometimes the show people can really drive you together because you got to fight together. You know, you got to stand up for each other. So, um, you know, there's there's so many forces at work. You know, you need a paycheck. You got to feed your kids. You also don't want to do something that's so dangerous you're going to get killed. Yeah. Uh, and they're telling you to do, and they don't care. If you get your leg chopped off, they get to the next show, the next town. So. There were times where I had to be like, no, Gene, you're not going to do that. Or he'd stand up for me and be like, you know, y'all leave him alone, let him, you know, just whatever. Yeah. So we had to we had to kind of watch each other's back.
0: Yeah, had to blow that stump up. <laughs> that
3: for Yeah, the, for that was the, awesome.
2: <laughs> no, that was the best day of my life right there, drinking moonshine, blowing up oh.
3: It sounds like a good day to me.
2: Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, that was killer. That was that was right up there with getting married and reading my life and stuff. that was that was uh,
3: great. mr <laughs> so spencer, l- let me let me throw a curveball here. How did you get into martial arts?
2: Uh, I was probably the skinniest kid in my middle school, and uh, you know i'd I'd go to school and be a little nervous. we We had some racial tension in my school, and i I got uh, beat up once or twice for the color of my skin. Um, I used to know what it felt like to go to school scared and not want to go to school and, you know, that kind of thing. And that wasn't all the time, but it motivated me to start wrestling. And I started martial arts probably by the time I was in ninth grade Um, and just stuck with it, stuck with it, stuck with it. I just never quit, really. And, uh, you know, wherever I go, I try to find a good teacher to stick with. And I just stay a student forever. I feel real bad. If you ever see a teacher that thinks he knows it all, he quit learning at some point. And, uh, he's not a student anymore. And he, you know, so I, I always try to find people that are still learning and still hungry and, uh, hang out with them. And so it's taken me through uh, different styles. Now at 40 years of age, I've, I've got some belts and a couple different things, but I'm still working hard, you know, I'm still working and learning. Just last year, I was in Japan and got a belt in, uh, an art called ninjutsu and, uh, you know, just uh, there's there's
4: beauty to
0: all of them. They're all different for different reasons, and I I enjoy them. Yeah, I I have a little bit of a karate background uh, myself, uh, and a little bit of a taekwondo background, and I grew up wrestling as well. So I mean, that was one of the things that initially drew me, you know, to like liken you on oh. Instagram and Facebook. You know, was that. Oh, cool that kind of connection, I don't, I mean, I
3: never really shared that with you, but... How long ago was it that we did karate in Woodbury together? I mean, that was... Oh,
0: yeah. yeah, I mean, it's been 20 years. Yeah. Better part. Um, Anyhow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, that was, you know, that was something that I, I really appreciated about you and, and still looked in on, you know, via the
3: social media. Spencer, our karate sensei back in the day had two Irish wolfhounds that I swear back when those days were taller than me, <laughs> they were. they'd were. they come down to the dojo and they were like, they looked like bears.
0: Yeah. You had to do a kata just to get away from them.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. You know,
2: and that's cool. It's good to, it's good to hear you guys had a good experience because, um, you know, we, in the modern day, martial arts have become so prevalent. There's a lot of there's a lot of bad stuff out there, you know, and I don't mind the different directions can, people can take. I'm not saying it has to be one thing or another, but, uh, you know, it's good to keep it real. It's good to, you know, if you're a karate guy, it's good to get on the ground and know what it's like to not be able to get up. And if you're a ground guy, it's good to box with somebody and, it's, you know, just be well-rounded and, and uh, don't get too wrapped up in the ego about it, you know, just train.
1: So you, you started martial arts as, uh, for self-defense then, right?
2: Yeah, I, I started it because I, I was just, you know, just an intimidated kid, and then you know, the older you get, you see other stuff in it, you know.
1: Yeah. What What, what kept you going down that path? Because I mean, you, I, I think I read you've got a like a fifth degree uh, belt, correct?
2: Yeah, and that's in uh, Budo Taijutsu or Ninjutsu, which is a particular. Branch and each style, it's 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 incredibly different on how hard it is to get one rank compared to another. Like some styles, black belt might take a year or two. Other styles, that's like a seven-year journey of blood, sweat, and tears. You know, wow. so uh, so it's all kind of relative. You know, it, the belts are you. You get to a point where the belt isn't really the issue. It's nice for marketing. You know, it's nice to have that on the wall. So if somebody that doesn't know anything will be like, okay, at least he's been doing something. Um, but you know, it's, it's, uh, the belts. in some ways they lose their importance and, and what you're doing is the most important thing. But, um, yeah, I do, I've done Tongsudo, which is a Korean karate, uh, Kongsudo, which is, uh, similar to Taekwondo, but it's, it's also a karate and, uh, Jiu Jitsu, Filipino arts, Eskrima, Pincao Silat, um, Kinpo, and I do a lot with rope,
0: sticks. <laughs> They're just, every one of those is increasingly just, uh, you know, high-level high, high level degrees of badassery. <laughs> I, I don't know another or, way to say or it.
4: like,
2: self, self-destruction, you know, some kind of masochism. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have to get out of bed in the morning, you know, my feet are swollen and my finger won't move. I've got to go play guitar and my throat, you know, I can't swallow coffee from getting choked out the night before, I'm like, oh,
4: jeez.
1: Uh, <laughs> so so I, I gotta ask, have you ever had to, uh, ever had to use it?
0: The, yeah, uh, that you're allowed to talk some, about. There's some yeah,
2: pretty the, funny. Okay, here's, the, here's a campfire story for you. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah.
4: mm-hmm.
0: All
2: right, I took a, took a couple students to Jamaica because Jamaica teaches some street smarts. And you want to see some hillbillies. There's some serious hillbillies in Jamaica. <laughs> you wouldn't think so. No. These dudes make the a boat out of a sandal and an old, like an old stick, okay? So, I mean, <laughs> they're making spear fishing. They'll come in off the ocean with 50 fish. Good, good, like cliff fishing. And they did it with the, the inner tube of a car, an old coat hanger, a piece of PVC pipe, and a little piece of wood made a spear gun and go shoot. And they're wow. diving down 30 feet, shooting these fish, you know? So uh, anyway, what I'm getting at too is Jamaicans are tough. You know, think of these guys and the athletes, you know, they're running Usain Bolt and all those guys, you know? So uh, So anyway, we're down there on the first night and I've got a martial arts student with me and I took my teacher. He's 74 years old. He used to be a student of Bruce Lee. Uh, He's in Southern California back in the heyday of martial arts, real neat guy. So this, it turns out that our same little camp up in the hills, you know, no electricity, it's ghetto. There's no other white people for miles. All right. So this turns out we're living next to a, a champion boxer, a Jamaican lightweight boxer with arms about four feet long.
3: Oh, man. Um, and so
2: long story <laughs> short,
3: you already lost. That sounds <laughs> I would have thought it's I lost like, already.
2: hey, this guy wanted to find out, you know, what's going on. So, I I got my student to box him first. That's what you do when you're a teacher. You get your student to fight.
3: Hey, Will, take
4: this guy on. (laughs) So, so
2: anyway, he beat the crap out of my student pretty bad. You know, John did a good job. He turned out real tough. John's in the Army now. I give him a shout-out. But, uh, but anyway, so, yeah, he he split John's lip up, knocked his – glasses and had his hair in a knot and just pretty kind of beat him all up so then i learned what a great secret of life you ready yeah here's one of the secrets of life don't don't ever box a jamaican in the dark
3: <laughs> <laughs> hashtag that
2: <laughs> yeah so uh
3: check so I'll, I I that, really I'll put that in like, the journal yeah, <laughs> yeah so
2: uh so anyway, it kind of escalated. You know how like he kind of he was the big dog around. So when when he had a little bit of trouble hitting me, and I was able to hit him, he would kind of get mad. And so he hit a little harder, and then I hit a little harder, and then he hit a little harder, and I hit a little harder. It was kind of you know it was starting to get a little crazy. At some point, I busted his lip, and he he got oh, mad, no. and he came to, he came in to tackle me. And he he put his hands around my waist like he was gonna pick me up and slam me. And you know I'm no jujitsu expert. I can't roll with the jujitsu master, but but I do I do it enough that that if you put me you know in this situation, I got that guy in a guillotine stranglehold. You know, <laughs> had his head in my armpit. And, I just, and when he picked me up, I just wrapped my legs around his midsection, just cranked that neck, and he about oh. went out unconscious and we crashed down into some rocks. And like, yeah, oh, he, uh, he kind of came to, and I was like, well, are you done? And he was like, yeah, man, I'm all done. Let's go.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Time to go spearfishing.
2: Uh, awesome. He was gone for about four days. He, he left. He He didn't come back. But when he came back after four days, he was like, you know I'm on. You had to choke me to beat me. <laughs> I was like, whatever. Yeah. I won, didn't I? <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: Want to do it again?
0: <laughs>
3: this is how we do it in wonderful. Appalachia. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's a good That's a good campfire story, Spencer. I like that one.
2: And that was around a fire, too. I mean, if you can imagine, there's like an old light bulb hanging on a cord powered with a 12-volt battery. Everybody's kind of sipping a little something. There's a fire burning in the background, dogs barking. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's a pretty real scene down there. I love it. I, I really like the backwoods of Jamaica. There's some neat stuff back up in there.
1: I was in Jamaica a few few times years ago, but uh,
0: it wasn't any place like that in Jamaica. Steve, Stevie doesn't tend to fight anybody anywhere. No, 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 especially
1: not like professional boxers or or amateur boxers for that matter.
2: Uh,
3: Spencer, would you like to take a trip to Honduras with me?
2: <laughs> you got- and I'm I'm always up for some travel and adventure. That's kind of what gets me into
3: all this stuff. I, yeah, uh, I got we got to go back to this certain house. <laughs> go back and listen to R2 Summer Vacation. And then you call me back and say, you, "You, I know, I know what the answer will be. I'm in catfish. Let's go." <laughs> He's uh, uh there, There's somebody back here waiting on me.
0: Yeah, they they had a, uh, con- uh, a, vacation out of the country, and 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 people broke into their, their villa and all these things. It was, uh, but that that podcast is all about that trip and. And yeah.
3: so oh, kind of setting you up for I, I needed to know how to for a good time. to jitsu <laughs> headlock. That would've been good to know. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh man, that's no there's no lie. It doesn't matter what you know, that kind of stuff's scary and, and depressing and no fun.
3: Yeah. yeah. It was not fun. He
0: made the best of it though. I mean he like like I said, he turned it around, you know, went, you know, lots of fishing and
3: But I understand like in Jamaica, whenever those things happen, it gets real real quick. I mean it can yeah, stuff changes yeah. real fast. Getting... So let me um, real to here, um, in your book, let's talk about your book because in your book, yeah, you, sure. You, in your book, you talk. I mean, we're talking about out of the country and we're talking about jujitsu and karate, and you you mention uh, Japan a lot and how it almost interacts with your lifestyle uh, more than people could imagine or whatever. Like, tell me about your book and how. You know Japan influences your life, vice versa.
2: Sure. Um, well, the name of the book is called the Appalachian Ninja, and you know people always laugh when they hear that, and I'm like, no, I'm I'm, I'm being serious. What what it is? Uh, serious in a funny way. First of all, you have to know that uh, the very essence of of you know the, the the hillbilly warrior is keeping a sense of humor because that gets you through the darkest stuff. You know you gotta you gotta be able to laugh. You, you know no matter what's going on, find some kind of humor to get you through. Well, the the mountains in Japan and the mountains in Appalachia are similar, and they're isolated from cities. People that live there often get looked down upon by upper classes and the powerful. And uh, people in those places had to learn how to survive with what they had, and they had to learn to use the plants, and they had to learn to hunt. They had to learn to deal with the the elements and the weather. And so that brings out similar character traits, but also some similar techniques or tactics, if you want to call it that. You know, the Cherokee who lived here uh, in the southern Appalachians before europeans arrived had phenomenal skill sets at hunting and trapping and plant knowledge and stalking and uh and so the the ninja often shown in movies as assassins the the number of people wearing black that ran around killing people is actually really really low uh a lot a lot more times they were scouts and information gatherers but they were they were kind of just country people they they knew about the land they knew about farming they were real good with weapons just because they had time to do that stuff, you know, and yeah. um, and they were real clever. And so the book takes their traditional skills that they practiced in Japan and sort of superimposes that over Appalachian culture. And is like, well, here's how we've been doing it. You know, this is it's it's not Japan. But, uh, you know, for example, in Japan, they care about the weather and this is how they read the weather to know what's coming. Well, in Appalachia, here's some folk ways to predict the weather this is what the crickets are doing here's what the leaves do and uh here's how the animals behave and you know this is a good time to hunt and stuff like that based on weather so weather is one of the traditional 18 skills of ninjutsu and that just gives you an idea of of how the book is laid out it's based on those traditional skills
0: i never had the um, opportunity to draw the parallels i'm you know a little bit familiar with some Japanese culture because of some of the studies I've had throughout my life. And um, one of the things I understand is there was a lot of oppression uh, with government and and that and, um, and how some of the styles developed was um, a lot of the weapons developed in that time were were farm equipment, you know?
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and you'll see that, Uh, you know there's a little bit of rebelliousness going on in the mountains and uh, you know both back in the old days in Japan and also in Appalachia as well you know the the easterners of North Carolina would try to tax the mountain people in Appalachia and the mountain people would sort of buck up at that and you know they'd go back and forth and there's a few stories in the book from history of Governor Tryon trying to build his big palace and the mountain people were like you can keep your palace and you know, sometimes it came to blows. You know, sometimes there were fights. And uh, you know, in the Civil War, a lot of people in the mountains were pretty removed from a lot of that. They were, there were there were many counties in western North Carolina that didn't give a hoot about the war. Really, they they just wanted to take care of their farms. Uh, a lot of people here with two porto and slaves. You know, so they were they were kind of caught in the crosshairs. You had Union raiders coming down and burning and pillaging and hanging and raping and causing mayhem. And then you had the the Confederate Army coming in and loose cannons from that group coming in and doing the same thing and blaming people for being Union sympathizers. and It, it was full-on guerrilla warfare in the Appalachians during the Civil War, so people had to survive any way they
3: could. Speaking of farm equipment and uh, building into weapons, I, the boys were telling me here at the table before we started that uh, you made some pretty wicked knives out of a little bit of nothing yourself. Like,
0: I I mean, from the... From the show It was Llama uh, blades Oh was it? Whatever, is that Saw what it blades is? Yeah. Whatever you could find
2: Yeah um, You know Any kind of Even rebar Will make a decent knife Now a knife maker Listening to this podcast Will Sit there and snort And piss And get grumpy But I'm just telling you rebar
3: is better than wood. Don't don't worry don't worry <laughs> about know? them Spencer. I, <laughs> I snort and piss all the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so like, that's great. But like you know rebar is better than wood. I made a Bowie knife out of rebar. It just won't. it doesn't hold an edge very well, but it you know it'll work. And then you just go on up the grades if you can get a saw blade that's real nice. And, uh you might want a rail spike knife. Not it's not going to hold an edge real good cuz it's a soft steel, but it's great for throwing. Yeah. it's got a hammer on the back. You, you can make a cool little tomahawk out of a rail spike. And, you know, you end up with lawnmower blades. Those are free. You can get them from your neighbor. Um, again, they're made not to break and shoot off shrapnel and kill some little kid. They're made to be a little more flexible, which means they won't hold as good of an edge. But they're still good knives.
3: I love stealing my neighbor's um, lawnmower, <laughs> my lawnmower <blade. laughs> It's Hilarious when Where he tries to online. cut the grass and nothing's happening. <laughs> He drives around. It takes my neighbor five or six wives to even realize. He's he's, he's sitting in the house with a lawnmower blade, just cracking a grin with a beer in your hand, going, (laughs) I got him again.
0: (laughs) I can, yeah. You probably sharpen it for him and get it back.
3: That's what you do. Then you go over and go, here, buddy, I'm sorry I sharpened this. I forgot to put it back on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In the mountains, we specialize
2: in growing rocks. So yeah. lawnmower blades don't last real long. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's like uh mowing my yard is kind of like a mix between derby racing, you know, and and uh landlines and you know, I mean you'll hear them kabo. I know where every I can't let anybody mow my grass. This is you know, I have to do it because I know where every little rock and root is and it's very complicated. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, when when you start smashing rocks with lawnmower blades, they don't last real long. <laughs> oh, I, re- I remember years ago, my dad coming in the house frustrated um, because he, he, he blew the shear pin or something out of his lawnmower. I don't remember what it was. But there was a there's a metal spike in our yard. I guess it's like a boundary marker uh, back at dad's oh, house. Okay. And he told me about it for years. If you're going to cut the grass, make sure you don't hit that metal spike, you know, that metal pole. And sure enough, he came come in the house one day and was like, Ground and grumping and swinging the the refrigerator door open to grab some iced tea or whatever. And I, what's wrong? He said, I hit the metal spike <laughs> and the mower's no more. Uh, oh, those spikes are heavy duty too. Yeah, that's no joke. I don't know what they put them in there with, but I think they're connected to Japan on the other side because they don't move none. I hit one with my go kart once. I know they don't move none.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spencer, what was the. Your motivation for writing a book. At what point? What made you just sit down one day and say, "I got to write all this stuff down"?
2: Well, it, there's a couple of things. Uh, I have to go back all the way to eighth grade, seventh grade, when you know I, I had some dream one night. Now, Okay, this this is gonna sound real serious for a second, but we won't stay there very long. But uh, I had a dream that like there was a disease outbreak in the United States. And, and like my parents had to send me and my best friend off to the woods to get away from it. And I woke up and realized I didn't have the skills to do that. And I was like, you know, I've been a boy scout and grown up in the country and learned all that, and I was like, I don't know if I could actually survive in the mountains, you know, you know, we even had like a 22 and stuff. So I, I kind of got a little obsessive about learning these skills. And, and so, uh, part of it is I want to share knowledge that helps people be ready. You know, back before this big survival craze and what they call prepping, it was just, you know, learning and being ready and being prepared. It's kind of the Boy Scout motto, be prepared. Now it's turned into like a million-dollar industry or whatever. Uh, But so part of it is I want people – I want to share knowledge and skills to help, you know, people out there make it through if something bad ever does happen. Um, you know, and you never know that might turn out to be good in the long run, you know, you just might bring people together, who knows, but it, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if something rough, it doesn't come down the pipe at some point, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's part of it. And then another part of it is I needed a textbook to teach from because uh, it's hard for me to keep track of what I'm doing. So I can just give somebody that book and be like, all right, we're doing this out of this chapter. Uh, or I can say read this if I missed anything, you know. And if they read it and they're like, we didn't cover these knots, then I know I can go back and hit those knots. And so it gives people a real quick overview of a lot of different things uh, that I can use as a teaching tool. Also, it is, you know? plus it's fun, you know. And I'm I'm not getting any younger, I, you know. I want to. I want to get some of this stuff out there it's unique it's you know it's
3: not something you run into every day so. that's for sure is teaching youth a, a passion of yours is it something that that touches that, that touches uh you know something special inside of you where you know teaching the youth is more uh it, for me i i like to teach i like to teach the kids i like to take kids fishing you know uh taking a kid out hunting is uh always more touching to me than taking somebody that's an adult, even though it's still special. But uh, teaching the youth how to do things like this is uh, seems to be like something that would be would be special to you.
2: I I go up and down. Um, I I like working with kids. I feel like they can go a long way. They can really take it to heart, and they need it. I feel like our young generation is being taken hostage by drugs and video games and constant media bombardment and brainwashing you know like that i feel like that they're half zombified and when you get them out in the woods and you teach them how to fish and they sit there and they listen to the call of a bird and they feel that breeze it's like their human side wakes up again you know so that that's that's really really
3: important that's after that's after you took the phone out of their hands right
2: yeah yeah after i shoot it yeah But, uh, You're gonna write another no, they, book on
3: how to blow up iPhones next. Throw it next to your TV. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But, uh,
2: but but I also get sick of kids because they whine and complain and gripe. because I love working with adults because they're highly motivated. They've already got a basic skill set, and they they can teach me stuff. And you know we can do a, we can go a lot further and do a lot more stuff and be safe and. Uh, I, I like you know, so I like both. I I like both of it.
0: I liked what you said earlier. You know, uh, or about. It, you kinda you cover it in great detail in the first part of your book is that that, that awareness awakening, you know, kind of what's inside you but that that you just don't use anymore. And um you know, the perception of things and, and seeing without seeing and, and you know that that to me was just you know wow.
3: And you can't I don't think you can teach kids that. You would have to get to a higher level of of a maturity uh, to get to some of that that feelings.
0: I mean, yeah, he it's even as simple like as like putting people in a circle. Yeah. You know, and 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 walking around and listening to who's where and and you know, not using a, a sense.
3: Well, a teacher like Spencer is somebody who's got a a super high um a, a super high ability to have um what's the word I'm, what's the, what's the p word uh Perception of around yeah. him and read people in re- read, read <laughs> I, I the know, I
2: mean, You're making me squirm in my seat here. Like if you if you could see what I forget on a given day and all stuff I do, you'd be like, well, maybe it's not as high as I thought it was.
0: <laughs> no, but I mean, from the book, I mean, it's definitely a different level, and and um, it's not something that it, that we use, you know, in a day to day. Like we said, everything's kind of like laid out for us, given to us. Uh, handed to us and, um, you know, whether it's food or it's, um, just knowledge, like technology, you can look up anything you want, anytime you want. Um, it's, you know, you don't have to go very far out of your, a comfort zone, uh, to get what you, what you need, you know, and, and I I think that, you know, that's kind of the, what I, my initial takeaway was, you know get out of a comfort zone uh get out of your your lifestyle and just you know start to really feel and live you know which uh, that that's not a bad message for anybody
2: yeah that comfort zone you know it's challenge that brings out the best in people i think you know whether it's you know how are you going to get better at martial arts if you're always the best you got to find somebody that's better there is a there's a quote in the bible as iron sharpens iron so one good sharp man sharpens another it's like you can't sharpen steel with a softer steel right uh, so you got to find challenge you you got to find people that pick you up and that you know kind of keep you humble and keep you growing and and um being outdoors you know you appreciate that food on your table a lot more when you've sat in the rain for 9 hours and not seen a thing
0: <laughs> oh yeah i've been there i um I, yeah. and you you don't You know, and another thing that you kind of cover, too, in the book is you don't have to look very far. And I I can't remember the quote off the top of my head. And if I butcher it, I'm very sorry, but it's just it's literally like it's not the ground and pound that always, uh, you know, produces the results. But it's sometimes it's a quiet walk inside of dark corners or whatever. You know what I mean? I-
2: oh yeah, that's uh that's referring to and in, in that chapter it's talking about working with vets with PTSD. Yeah. Um and and it could be anybody, it doesn't have to be that person, but yeah, a lot of times we think of fight club as the way to get our demons out, but a, a lot of times it's going into the quiet corners, it's going into the dark places that we hide from everybody and, and that we hide from ourselves. And ourselves, and hunting yeah. haunting that yeah. I'm good at yeah. that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, you don't have to go very far for you know are, for deep, profound change. And that's, again, just that book and the, my initial assessment or my initial takeaway is like, you know, you get after it right at the get-go. You know, you're like, this is a very personal journey.
3: I think one of the things in life that I got as a gift from my father is, uh, you know, in all intents and purposes, like Spencer says, an old-timer, was the ability to find peace in the outdoors. Like, I can get rid of my day-to-day hospital stress if I go go to a place where I can't hear cars, I can't hear society, a little bit further than that, and then right to the edge where I'm not comfortable, whether I can get back before dark, just go a little bit further and find that that running crick...
0: Yeah. That well, rock out
3: outcro- that rock outcropping somewhere to sit and go, you know things mm-hmm. st- things start to disappear in your soul and starts to heal in the outdoors.
2: Mm-hmm. Isn't that awesome?
3: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you you said about old timers. Uh, do you have any actual? Do you, is there anybody that pops out in your head as an old timer that really taught you something special about the outdoors?
2: Yeah. Now, I don't know if you can call Eustace an old-timer yet. He might not want to be called an old-timer <laughs> yet, but uh, Eustace has gone out of his way in real personal, meaningful ways to to take time to share stuff with me. To, to give you an example... This is um, Eustace
1: Conway, I've, I've right?
2: Struggled... What's that?
1: Eustace Conway? We, we...
2: Yeah, I, that's right. I, Mountain okay. Man. I, Mountain Man, yep. uh um, And so, for example, I've had a problem being on time in my life, so I like what Catfish said earlier about getting there an hour earlier because he hates being late. Uh, I hate being late, but I I was often late. So, you know, I'd get there the morning of a job instead of the night before. And then it was like I'd get there right when the job was supposed to start, and then I'd get there half an hour late. So finally he pulled me aside and he took me on a horse ride or something, and he said, Spencer, he's like, I'm not going to be able to use you if, if you're going to be late. And he's like, it's not valuable to me on the job to have somebody that's late. And he's like, and I'm telling you this because I care about you. If I didn't care about you, I wouldn't tell you. He's like, but you're going to find your whole life is going to improve if you start trying to be on time and you need to make your, you need to change your life and fix this. Cause it's going to really hold you back and everything. And so that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. Like he took a risk he took the risk of me getting mad and leaving and us losing a friendship and whatever. Yeah. Uh, he took that risk to tell me something I needed to hear, yeah. and he was right.
4: You know? So. Yeah.
1: You spent some time with Eustace, right?
2: Yeah, I apprenticed with him uh, at the very end of the 90s and then kept on working off and on. We had a very temporary fallout about a chainsaw or something or other. But we worked that out. and... Uh, so I've worked with him now since about the end of 1998 or 1999, um, and we've we've been pretty good friends for almost that whole time period. Yeah,
0: wow, that's awesome. When when did you decide to uh, to take off? You know, to live in the woods for a while?
2: Um, it, at some point, when I was in college, uh, you know, I don't remember exactly what it was that precipitated it but I, I met Eustace and I was like whoa there's somebody that did it he he moved into the woods when he was 17 and he was at that point maybe in his early 40s or something and um, so I I just was like you know now's my chance I don't have any kids I'm not married I don't have any debt I'm not tied down uh, all I would lose was a scholarship I wasn't planning on losing my girlfriend but I kind of lost her but uh, so anyway, that was it i I was in my early twenties and just uh, gave most of what I owned away and started off with Eustace and lived with him and then kind of went from there uh, and just kind of branched I, out on my own and could move
3: around there's a part there's a part of my heart that can connect with this Spencer because I honestly believe that some of the youth of today needs at least one time I want to say one time um adventure like that in their life and i'm not talking about jumping on a plane and going to a resort um you know i got in some trouble in in 1997 and i ran off you know to alaska and worked for a hunting outfitter and lived in the uh, brooks mountain range in alaska for uh for four for almost five months and now it wasn't quite as rough as you had it but we you know Mm -hmm. took a bath once every couple weeks in a a glacier mountain creek and You know, we had very wow. we had very limited food of whatever the rich hunters shot and decided to donate to us. Uh, you know, canned yeah. peanut butter from last year that has no salt, no sugar in it, and um, mm-hmm. minimal food, minimal things. I mean, there was a lodge there, there was an old log cabin where some of the rich hunters stayed, but I mean, we had a you know spike tents, and it, it was a rough life. It really was. Um, I can't wow. say that we didn't have some of the amenities. Uh, You know, that that some people uh, gravity fed water system for a shower when we were back at base camp. But anyhow, my point being is to take that adventure as a young kid and to learn that McDonald's ain't down the corner. And, uh, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I learned so when I was 17, I went there and I I knew everything and I I learned that I, I, I really didn't know anything when i got there i hear that yeah but it it changed me it's changed my heart for the outdoors it's changed my ability to appreciate little things that we have so uh, and i wish more people got a chance to do that in life my heart is dragging me outside wants to do it again so badly but like you said you know i have a wife and you know a a father that you know needs some attention here and there and bills and it's, mm-hmm. you, you got to do it when you're early so my message to anybody is yeah. take one from spencer myself if you get a chance to do something like this right out of high school do it so it'll change your life Amen. yeah
1: so you spent three years with eustace then it sounds it sounds like
2: was that one the- no the it was it, it was uh it was basically six months as an apprenticeship okay and then we had a big falling out about a chainsaw. He thought I put the wrong fuel in it and wanted me to buy a chainsaw. And I was like, I don't have any money. I'm, I'm living in a, in a lean-to hut on your land. <laughs> and he was like, well, yesterday I had a chainsaw and today I don't. So we had this big fallout about a chainsaw. Oh, and uh, so I had to leave for a while. Okay. And uh, I, I went and lived on some other people's land. I, I actually did a little bit of time in Richmond, Virginia. I, I got a ride up there. And sort of lived on the streets. I, there was a woman that gave me a meal a day, and, and she turned out to be a good lifelong friend. Um, she gave me a place to sleep in her clothing store on the floor, but my bed had to be up and disappeared by like 7 a.m. every morning. Uh, and I, I like hung around in the alleys and got to got to do a little bit of the city survival thing, and then. And then got back to the mountains where I really love it. But um you, at, you, at yeah. One so point... then I made up, and and so I started going back and staying months and months at a time with him again and working with him. Um, but there was a little bump in the road there for a few minutes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you at one point said that that you had. Um... Feasted on like uh you know scraps and, and roadkill, and used the word feast, and I thought that was just crazy. That was awesome.
2: No, well, roadkill can be great, man. I mean, no, the, really, when you're uh, you, you know if you're if you're out there wandering around or whatever, shoot, I grab roadkill driving down the road. I'll see something get hit, I'll be like, oh, who's looking? You know, I'll grab it, throw it in the truck, or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, roadkill road is actually great as long as it hasn't been sitting there too long. And, you know, you don't want to get something that's all busted up. But even if it's real busted up, there might be a good shoulder, you know, or there there might be a good ham or something in there that you can get out of it that's, you know, not being contaminated and messed up. And uh, so, yeah, roadkill can be a real good source of some food if you don't have a lot of food.
1: It, my My wife and I watch Mountain Men. Religiously, you know during the season and there's one episode that we always laugh about come back to when uh, uh Eustace and Preston were walking or riding a horse riding horses down the road, and they come across a squirrel, and uh, Eustace picks it up and smells it and says this hasn't been dead that long or something to that effect and they had it for lunch, yeah
4: yeah
2: but, no that's totally you know they're all they probably wrote that into the story, just knowing what I know about t v but I can tell you. Uh, that's absolutely authentic Eustace. I mean, Eustace, has, I, I, I won't even begin to tell you the stuff that I've seen that guy. He, he's way beyond my comfort zone. Really? <laughs> he'll he'll, scrape, he'll like scrape the mold off of stuff and dig down in it and pull out some good pieces. You know, wow. <laughs> he's, just, it- he's crazy. I, I was eating some soup with Eustace one time, and he was like, you see that above you on the ceiling? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you know what that is? And I was like, no, sir. He's like, that's a rat skin. And I was like, that's pretty gross. And he's like, well, it's not that gross. You
4: just
3: ate it. Oh. <laughs> Spencer, you got to take off. You got to take off today. You're going up into the mountain for a month or whatever now. And other than salt, uh, you got one spice to take with you. What would it be? One, what I'm sorry,
2: I didn't hear
3: that. You you could take just like what's your favorite spice? What would you take with you to help cook, make uh,
0: make rat taste good? Make
3: rat taste good, (laughs) boy. Um, well, there's a bush that
2: grows in the Appalachians called Spice Bush that's real good, and it, it can go sweet or savory, and it's wild, it's already out there. Um, we've even got some stuff that's kind of hot like pepper. We got we got leaves on the ground here called pepperwort that are like, and we got wild mustard and we got wild ranch for onions. So, um, you don't really you have, you know. Have I, you know I guess I take with, them with them. ain't gonna yeah.
3: take much with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'll take
2: curry, I'd take some curry. I like some curry, yeah.
3: All yeah. right, well,
1: so I gotta get back a, a little bit here briefly to the, the education. Thing with kids i've got two sons and a daughter my two sons are four and six if there was one thing out of your book that i should teach them or start teaching them now one or two things what would you suggest uh to start with
2: the games that are in the first chapter that are building those awareness skills you know if you make something that's a game and it's fun then kids are real easy to teach. It's, you know, adults can be focused into real serious stuff. But for kids, if you make it playful and fun, they'll learn it a lot better. And there's some drills at the end of that chapter about smelling each other's clothing and smashing onions on trees and being blindfolded, following it through the woods and listening to sounds and, you know you kind of pretend that you're in a Jason Bourne movie, right? You feel where what's hot, which which piece of clothing is the warmest, and which car parked last, and learning to feel heat on things. And uh, that kind of stuff, I think, is, is probably the most important in the book. And then, you know, the escape and evasion stuff is probably the most exciting. Uh, and there's a, there's a whole chapter on escape and evasion. Uh, it's called Inton, which is a concealment... That, Evasion and escape, and and then the five elements express that. So you've got using each element. You've got uh, fire and water and air and uh, earth and the void. And so, what escape and evasion skills look like underneath each category of those? Kids dig that stuff. You know, that's cool. Hiding okay. in the water, getting covered in mud. You know, all that stuff.
0: Like the predator.
2: Yeah, exactly. Just like the predator. Although I, you know, I don't. I. I I've I don't think that mud. i think maybe the Predator's thermal camera was really, like, (laughs) first-generation. (laughs) I didn't even think of that. Uh, Uh, You know, modern-day stuff, you're going to have to up your game a little bit. Do uh, it. You know, that
4: might have been his first time to Earth or something. You
1: you mentioned a little bit earlier about the prepper industry and how that is growing into— you know, something huge, much more than it was, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago.
2: What, oh, yeah. What yeah. do you
1: think has triggered
2: all of that? Uh, there, I think there's a lot of different forces because some people just live afraid of everything. And so you just give them something else to be afraid of and tell them they need to buy this thing and they're a little less afraid. And, you know, that because they, they start to shop to cure their fear, uh, they might not how, they might not know how to use that equipment. They might not know their neighbor's name. They might not have any realistic sense of survival. But they've got a bunch of stuff, and it makes them feel better. But then, uh, then you get into the larger community, and I think that you see a lot of real good people, who um, you know they care about each other. They care about having a free place to live, and their kids growing up, and they they care about the state of things that could cause all of our comforts to change and they want to be able to be a refuge. Uh, it has evolved. I think in the nineties, your average survivalist was like a can of meat and an AR-16 in a cave, you know?
4: Yeah.
2: Uh, nowadays people want to take care of each other. The idea is if I can take care of myself then I'll be able to lend a hand to somebody in need. Um, you know, you, you see that in places of natural disaster. Uh, if, if we can take care of ourselves, then we're going to be able to help, somebody and uh i think that's a, a really cool attitude and and likewise if we're in crisis panic mode we can't eat we don't have food we don't have medicine and that you know we're up in the mountains we get gas cut off every once in a while uh, we had a pipeline bust last year and we didn't have gas for a couple of days and uh you know it's it, it makes you think a little bit because there's no food going to that grocery store without without some gasoline to run those trucks so, um, so I, you know, world events, North Korea is insane. Uh, there's all sorts of domestic stuff. And, you know, I, I kind of, I try to stay out of, for teaching's sake, you know, personally it's different, but for teaching's sake, I stay out of politics for the most part, because there might be somebody that needs to hear something I'm going to say, and I don't want to turn them off and push them aside because I throw out some political stuff, you know. Now, I, later on, we get to drinking moonshine and sitting around the fire, I'll let them know what I think. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so,
4: yeah.
1: are there are there any aspects yeah. of of that that you would find you know, it seems like you can go from one extreme to the next w- what are the important parts of being prepared uh that, that you know just the average person should learn you the average hunter uh, the average fisherman the average guy that spending time in the outdoors what what are the important things for us to to master well
2: uh, the first thing to do, I, I use a method called DST, Doctrine, Strategy, Tactics, and this allows you to to decide why you're learning something. So if you're talking about being prepared or you're talking about a natural disaster, you're talking about riots, you're talking about a, a global war that cuts off gas supplies or economic issues or whatever. So, um, you know, that, defining that's real important because having a broke-down car – and needing to get home is real different from a sustained emergency. But but to answer your question as quickly as possible, I think that the average hunter and outdoorsman, uh, make sure you know your neighbors. Try to get along with them. If there's a gripe or a grievance, some people obviously you can't work with.
3: Not if you're stealing a uh, lawnmower blade, you can't. <laughs>
4: yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get them a few extra lawnmower blades. <laughs> you know, try to have a cookout. Invite some people over. Uh, you know, just know who your neighbors are, and that'll give you a, the ability to discern who's a problem and who's. You know, we've we've you know, up in the Appalachian Mountains, there's always a house around somewhere that somebody's dealing meth out of or doing some crazy stuff, and you know, they're already a problem. And we we still have police and law enforcement and power system. <laughs> so like, you know, knowing your neighbors. Number one. Number two how to make medicines out of the plants where you live, how to make your own herbs, how to make things to get you over the flu and get you feeling better, clean your body out, how to treat wounds, um, using natural plants and things like that. And, uh, you know, having having enough stuff to, to take care of your, your family for a short little bit because uh, I don't think the immediate aftermath of a real major emergency, I don't think running around hunting will necessarily be the safest thing that a fella could do it might be best to just be hanging out with
3: the kids in the house you know sure and you and and earlier in the podcast i said that my weak, my weakest link um as an outdoorsman is knowing all of my um, plants and edible plants um that's my weakest link right now and mm -hmm. when i asked you about uh your spices and you gave me the answer you gave me you've not only did you make me feel better when the podcast began, but you now have inspired me to take as much passion as I do for hunting and fishing to um, to go back to my roots of an outdoorsman uh, of things that I normally mm. take, take for granted every day because, you know, it's, it's easy to take a, an apple pie from Rudders with me hunting where, mm-hmm. you know, I really should be concentrating on what is around me. Even if I don't use it or don't eat it, I need to know. You might regret not taking
2: the apple pie. Oh, don't take... It.
3: I'm not going to <laughs> not take the apple pie. But, um, no, you've you've, yeah. ins- you've inspired me to learn. I mean, my dad taught me some of those things, but not to the depth of uh, of your knowledge. And I, that's something that I want to inspire to learn. Uh,
0: yeah, I have to say that, to echo that as well. And, and um, I can't remember, recall the, the episode or whatever, but, like, I, I mean, you were uh, actually... Eating some plants that you know, you're like you gotta. Sometimes you gotta eat what the animals are eating. Yeah, you know, like a like mm. b- you were kind of browsing as if you were a deer. Yeah, yeah. If you remember that.
3: Oh, right now, right now here, Spencer, it's uh, it's morel season here in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got a lot. Oh yeah, of, a lot. Every, of them. Every, and and people are seriously secretive about their morel spots. They are. So uh, you know thy neighbor. Na- know thy neighbor. We. You may not run into as many meth labs up here in the Appalachian, but you'll run into a lot of really uh, territorial uh, morale hunters. <laughs>
2: that's that's, oh, that's funny stuff, man. Yeah.
0: This we're gonna we're gonna start to wrap up the show here, Spencer. This has been surreal. This has uh, uh, been awesome for me and,
3: and the guys around the table here. I have so much more. Can we have Spencer back on so that I can maybe watch? pick up on some of the shows and, and learn more and then we have I would to. I would have sure. I have so many more questions for him that are more detailed about the woods that I would like to learn. We
1: got to like number four of my I'm list of six
3: hundred questions. Yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, that's I hear you. And no, I'd be glad to so you know, this is a good time slot for me and um yeah, you know, might as well catch me before the summer because I do camps in the summer and that's on twenty four seven. Wow uh you know it's that's it's real tiring but it's like i was saying at the beginning of the show you know the challenge is what brings out the best in a person and when you live out in the country there's not a lot of jobs you know i live in a mill town so canton's still got a paper mill and uh but that you know other than dollar general and some restaurants and a little service industry and tourism um you got to be creative with with how you make money and so uh you know, it's, it's, you just gotta do, that's one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons the book came out, you know, it was because I needed to do some, something else, my kids aren't eating any less, they're just getting older, yeah. um, like, I had yeah. to bring in a little more money, so we create another little project, and so it's just, it's just how it goes, and, uh, yeah, so I, you know, I'd be, I'd be happy to come back and visit, and Chat with you guys. This has been a blast. Yeah, you've been awesome.
1: <laughs> Before we wrap up, uh, you're a pretty uh, accomplished musician, right?
2: Yeah, that's that's another side of it. We didn't really, yeah, talk, we, bear, talk, I, I did, talk. yeah,
1: we didn't even get to to touch on that. But real, you know, real, real quick, what uh, what's your music life like?
2: Uh, I started as a drummer. I think my dad gave me a drum when I was one, and I, my mom regretted it ever since. And, uh, you know, I did marching band and all that stuff in high school and, and did real well, was pretty successful with that. And, uh, you know, I play drums in a wedding band on the weekend sometimes. And right now the, well, I started playing guitar when high school, because, um, you know, you walk down the hallway and there'd be some guy playing guitar and all the girls would be sitting around him. And so you can't just set up the drum set in the, in the hallway and play. So I was like, I'm gonna have to learn how to play guitar. So, plus you can write songs about being outdoors and cool stuff like that. And so uh, I picked that up. And uh, I've got a couple CDs done now. And I get out and play on the weekends. I play locally at little bars. You know, no, you know, I'm talking eighty bucks. You know, these aren't real giant gigs or anything, but every little bit counts. Yeah. And you sell a couple bucks, you get some tips, you get free beer, have a good time.
3: I got an idea um, for a song for you, Spencer.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, what's that?
3: It's called Never Throw Down with a Jamaican Boxer in the Dark. <laughs>
2: yeah, not in the Dark, yeah.
3: <laughs> that, would be it, that would be a number one hit that right there. That yeah.
4: would be. Maybe not in yeah, Jamaica, boy. but at least... You
3: never know. know.
2: No, no, I'm going to... I'll have to write that. I'm, I'm going mean. to... You got inspired here. I'm, I'm going to have to
0: work on that. Sometimes being helpful is hurtful. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> always, always push your student forward. I'll, I, I take at least one yeah. lesson from everybody we have on the podcast. Put your students first. <laughs> always put your students first. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, man. <laughs> you got
1: it. So, Spencer, is there any chance we could uh, talk you into playing something before we wrap it up?
2: yeah i'd be glad to uh you know we we'll, we'll, we could talk about if you want an original or a cover or whatever but i'd i'd be glad to get some music out there and and listen if i can you know don't ever think that's because somebody's been on a, a reality tv show or has written a book or whatever that they have somehow arrived i'm still hustling and working and and getting out there. So if, you know, if you guys ever want me to come over there and visit and and do something for a weekend, play a concert, you know, do some live music, get a business open, whatever, you just holler at me, get a hold of me, and uh, we'll, I, I love doing stuff like that. Get so. Spencer
3: up here and do some catfishing with Uncle Catfish. I like that idea. <laughs> yeah. Teach me what I great. teach me what I can eat on the Susquehanna River. We'll cook some catfish. up yeah. Sounds good. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, and we'll. Uh, We'll we'll play uh we'll play you out then and uh I just thank you so much yeah, for everything. Yeah.
1: The name of his book is the Appalachian Ninja. Spencer, what's the yeah, best what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to order the book, learn more about you, any of those things?
2: I, I wish it was already on Amazon. I'd just be like, go to Amazon, but I've I've only run off two batches of 100, and I've about sold out of those first two batches. Um, So I think on the next one I'll probably stick it up on Amazon, but in the meantime, uh, my website is called lotswild.com It's it's an acronym. It's Land of the Sky Wilderness, but lotswild.com. I'm on Facebook. I've got a public figure page. It's Spencer Boljack. That's B-O-L-E-J-A-C-K B as in Bravo. B-O-L-E-J-A-C-K and People can go on there and look at knives. If you want a knife, I'll hand hammer out a knife. If you want a book, I'll throw one in the mail for you. You just want to send me a note and shoot the shoot the bull and holler. You know, sometimes it takes me a minute to get back, but uh, I, I like staying in touch with people. So Facebook and. You know, I stick little videos up on Instagram. I got a little thing at Patreon.com where I put people can request an instructional video. You can be like, "What's a good plant for this?" and I'll make a video for you. And that's pretty cheap. You know, you can subscribe for like a dollar or ten dollars or whatever a month, and I'll make stuff for people. The good thing about all this technology is you can you can market yourself for almost nothing. You know, I've tried to do print and radio and all that stuff, and that's for me, it's a lot of money and not a lot of feedback. So the Social media has
3: been helpful for all that stuff. It's awesome. Thanks, Spencer. We appreciate it, buddy. We had a good. Yeah, time y'all had there. an awesome evening. I've had a
2: blast. Uh, I look forward to sitting around a real campfire and uh, hanging out with you guys one of these days.
1: All Thanks, right. buddy.
0: Thank yous. Where can they find us?
1: Find us at www.ruttenriverpursuits.com. Instagram, Facebook download the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher and Google Play.
0: All right. Later. Nowhere I'll roam. The mountains
2: of my home. Nowhere I'll be. In the wilderness I snow still a fall and nowhere I'll roam in the mountains of my home nowhere I'll be in the wilderness
4: I
1: River Pursuits Podcast. Follow the R2 Pro Staff by searching Wet and River Pursuits on Facebook,
3: Instagram, and Twitter. Until the next episode, we need to see you in the outdoors.